The Lord bless you. You may take your seat. As you take your seat, say to your neighbor, I am a son. We're going to talk about biblical sonship. Biblical sonship, please help me. I want to do this in half an hour so that we can have enough time to do some prayer. So I'm going to kind of go through it a little bit fast. So listen to the preaching on audio or whatever. So what is the definition of a son? Simply put, different definitions, a male child or a person in relation, a male child or person in relation to his parents, the normal one, a male child or person adopted as a son, and that was a person in the legal position of a son, and then a person, and this is the one we are interested in, surrendered to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, able to exercise the rights of the kingdom of God. So now, the term son, for our purposes, like we've said concerning father, is gender neutral. Because in our Lord Jesus Christ, there is neither male nor female. But he, our Lord, is the model son through whom all sonship should be viewed. So when we talk about sonship, both sons of the kingdom and also sons of of the house, and also sons to an individual, we are looking at it through the lens of our Lord Jesus. So there are different kinds of sons that we can address. We can talk about sons of the kingdom, where simply put, when you get born again, you become a son of the kingdom. We can talk about sons of the house, where simply put, when you're part of a family of believers, you are a son in that house, or a child in that house. Or you grow to be a son of that house, I should say. And then we could talk about being a spiritual son to an individual. Where through the process of discipleship, you become their spiritual son. So I'm going to kind of, in a way, be interacting and interchanging in all of this. However, there's one common theme. Whatever son you are, you are ultimately a son of God. An adopted son of God. And it is important that whether it's in the kingdom or whether it's in the house or whether it's sons of individuals, you don't lose focus that it is because you are a son of God. Can you say amen? amen. Now, for the purposes of our teaching, a son of God for his kingdom purposes is a, a, an individual at whatever stage of maturity who is surrendered to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In other words, it is when we allow the Holy Spirit to be leading us, or when we are surrendered to his leadership, that is when we demonstrate that we are sons of God. Let me say it like this. It does not mean that you are not a son of God unless you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. No, you show you are a son of God when you let the Holy Spirit lead you. Because by virtue of being born again, you are adopted into sonship because of Christ. Can you say amen? Now, having said that, there is a difference between being children of God and being sons of God. Being children of God and being sons of God. Now, every born-again believer is a child of God with 
the mandate of sonship upon their lives. But not every born-again believer enjoys the privilege of being a son of God. So although you have, you have the right to be a son of God anytime you choose, most believers never allow their sonship to be evident. Now, sonship can begin immediately, but it also takes place through a process of maturity. Let me put it like this. When a person gets born again, in that split second, they can demonstrate sonship. However, often, in that second, they will probably demonstrate being babies in Christ. Now, babies in Christ, the signature, um, def- the signature um, um, characteristic of a baby in Christ is what? Carnality. So Paul said to the Corinthians, you are still babes because you're carnal. So a carnal believer is somebody who's simply governed by their senses. What they feel, how, what they think, their opinions, their flesh really dominates their decisions. Their soul dominates their decisions. Their mind is not renewed. And so those decisions are dominated by their senses. Now, you could be in church for 50 years and still be a baby. All right? But at the same time, you can be in church for one day and demonstrate sonship. Now, after you get born again, the process of development is supposed to be like this. Because of time, I'm not going to go into the scriptures. But it's in 1 John 2. It's supposed to be child, young man, father. That's the process of development. You start as a child, then a young man, then a father. But at each of these stages, you can demonstrate sonship. So as a child, in your maturity, you can demonstrate sonship. As a young man, in your maturity, you can demonstrate sonship. And as a father, in your maturity, you can demonstrate sonship. That, so, so there is that. So I don't really want to go into that, but I just thought it's worth pointing out. Now, sonship takes, it's a process of maturity, and at each stage of our development, we can demonstrate. However, whilst becoming a child of God takes place through the new birth, like I said, being a son takes place through surrendered submission to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me read something. First John 1, not First John, John chapter 1, Gospel of John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now, some versions say sons of God. But there's a Hebrew, there's a Greek word there for children, which is technon, technon, which is children of God. So anyone who believes him, he gives them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And that's how we get born again. We're born again and we become his children. Spiritual children can be produced without anyone ever personally knowing their offspring. But spiritual sons cannot be produced without relationship. So I can get people born again through them listening to my voice as the Holy Spirit anoints what I say and causes them to be born again. That's what I mean by I can get people born again that way. But I will never know who they are. I will have no experience with them. So they got born again through my ministry. But if I will, and they could see me as just... I'm the spiritual father in that sense. But if they're going to be my sons, there would have to have been interaction between me and them over time where they 
demonstrate that they are, where they can then say, truly, they are my sons because of relationship. And that's why the wisdom of what Pastor Peter was saying to our sister, who when she came into the church, because of her heart for God and her zeal for Christ and her wanting to do what is right and her recognizing that this man is my spiritual father, she said to him what she said, but Peter in wisdom also realizes that the only way I can be a true father to you, where you can be a son to me, is through what? Relationship. And that's why he couldn't say what she wanted him to say. Not because he didn't want it, but because of the reality of what sonship is about. Can you say amen? amen? All right, now, Paul the apostle had both spiritual children and sons in the gospel. He referred to the member of the churches he founded as his children in the Corinthian church and also in the Galatian churches. He referred to them as his children. But when it came to specific individuals, he referred to them as his what? Sons. Because he had fathered them relationally. Again, because of time, the scriptures I think are in your notes. I won't go into that. Now, sonship in the kingdom of God is always evidenced to, through submission to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So whether you are my spiritual son, or whether you are the son of this house, or whether you are a son of the kingdom, the signature element that we'll be able to see is that you're yielded to the Holy Spirit. Because the sonship relationship is not based on carnality. It's not based on sensuality. It's not because you like how I sound, or you like my anointing, or you feel like you get the witness, you get my vibe, and so you think I should be your father. Is the, are you still here? Because he says, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. So it is not a carnal thing. Spiritual sons and daughters, this is not carnal things. I cannot manufacture sons unless the Holy Spirit anoints me in how I disciple people. They cannot become my sons. We are not in a club. This is the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? amen. So therefore, it's a spiritual thing we're talking about. And it is as I as a father am yielded to the Holy Spirit and you as a child are yielded to the Holy Spirit that the sonship becomes evident over time. It's not about cloning ourselves in people. It's about reproducing the Christ in us in people. There's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. All right, now look at this scripture. Very interesting. Romans 8, 14 to 17, which highlights the difference between sonship and being a son of God and a child of God. Because sonship in the kingdom of God is evidenced by submission to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as is seen in the Greek words used in these verses. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8, 14 to 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now the word sons here in the Greek is huis, huis, huis. H-U-I-O-S, can't pronounce it properly. Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children. Some versions say sons. That word children is technon of God. And if children technon, then heirs of God and join heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, here it is. It's like this. 
All of us are children of God through the new birth. But it's when we demonstrate submission to the Holy Spirit that we show ourselves to be sons of God. And as sons of God, we have the right or we, are, we enter into the privilege in exercising all the rights of the kingdom. So as sons, we can then demonstrate the kingdom. As children, we can't demonstrate the kingdom necessarily. Now, the kingdom is in us, but we can't show it because we are not matured in that sense until we surrender to the Holy Spirit. And when we surrender to the Holy Spirit, then even though we may be uh, children in Christ, we show ourselves to be sons by revealing the kingdom. Do you see that? Maybe you didn't see it, but you're still saying yes because we heard one or two people say yes. But I don't have time, so you're going to have to listen to it again. So there is a difference between being an adopted son, and our sonship is through adoption, okay? Um, our sonship and our being part of God's family is because we've been adopted. Now, no, don't get me wrong. Adoption in this sense is where you are given Every legal right of a true son. Now, our adoption as sons means we have the same rights and privileges as Jesus being the incarnate son of God when he became a human being. So everything that Jesus could do as a human being and be as a human being as sons of God as adopted sons, we have that same privilege in everything. In fact, let me put it like this. We, can, we are as righteous as Jesus is, and we cannot be any more righteous. Throughout all eternity, you cannot be any more righteous than you are now if you are a child of God. Because it's one of the privileges of the kingdom. But as sons of God, what happens is we are able to demonstrate the kingdom through the spirit of holiness because every time we walk in holiness we let go of one thing and take off of something else because of the surrender or the submission to the leadership of the holy spirit i hope i'm not losing you i really do but anyway so jesus is the model son so all the sonship that you want to pursue look at what jesus does Look at what he is like, and that's what you aim for. Let's look at a few. Let's look at a few. First thing, because of time. Now, you know what? Let me read the scriptures. Let me read a few scriptures. Two scriptures, two portions. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. John 5, 16 to 23. Now, these verses really outline what sonship is about. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, 
that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son, just as, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. There are a few things I want to point out, and then we're going to bring this to a conclusion. One, the Son derives his work from his Father. Every son will derive their assignment that God has upon their life from their Father. That's a very profound statement. Therefore, it is important you're connected to your Father because your true work cannot be truly given to you until it is imparted to you through your Father. Second point, and, and let me put it like this, true sons will always draw from their Father that vital character or that vital ingredient of character and spirit they require for the work God has entrusted to them. Second point, the son is equal to the father. The son is equal to the father. The goal of fatherhood is to bring the son to be equal with them, just like we see within the Godhead. And so, while sons must always recognize the seniority of their fathers, they are inherently equal to their father. What does that mean? It means, ultimately, sons are brought to a place where they can do and function like their father. Because the goal of fatherhood is to have an exact representation in their sons. And then actually, the sons then stands on their shoulders and do greater works. And I guess that's one of the reasons why our Lord could say greater works than these he will do. Because he goes to the father. And because he goes to the father, greater works can be accomplished because he's acknowledging the proper order through which works must origin, which is through the Father. Third point, the Son, interesting, seems like a paradox, can do nothing of himself. So whilst he's equal, he does not act on his own initiative. Sons do not act on their own initiative. It's not because they are empty-headed, but because they've learned to be interdependent with their Father. True sons gain their sense of identity and purpose from their fathers. So, again, this is why you have to be able to identify your fathers. Because whatever it is you're supposed to do, it's a, it's a statement of fact. You can do nothing without your father. So, whatever it is you are supposed to do, you need your father in order to do it. And that's why God at times has to step into the orphans and be a father of the fatherless. Where our fathers, where the spiritual natural fail us, he has to step in and father us so that we can do what we, our father was supposed to show us to do. But actually, the correct order is that we are supposed to do things as we have received from our father. Because sons will see in their father what their father is doing and then they emulate what they see in their father. Fourth point, the father reveals to the son all things out of their love relationship. Now, these are all these verses that we have read that I'm just picking up on. So, fathers are to give their best to their sons. You know, some fathers are wicked. Let's just be clear. They will show you some and hold back a lot. They don't, they don't want their best to go with you. 
Like if you're starting something, they don't want their best. They'll give you their leftovers. You can take her. You can take their troublemakers. Go with them. But they won't give you their best. But true fathers give you their best. They give you their strength. And they are left seemingly weaker. But they will always come back to strength. Because they raise you up, they can raise up others. Hallelujah. Fathers are to teach their sons out of love. So as you are, in, as they are revealing all things to their sons, they reveal it out of love. What is that? Out of unconditional kindness, unconditional goodness, out of acceptance, and out of generosity or benevolence. That is really the composites of love. Fifth point. The son has life within himself in the same manner that the father has within himself. John 5.21, he says this. Fathers empower their son to give life to that which is dead. In other words, fathers empower their sons to, to a place of innovation and vitality that sons are able to take that which appears to be nothing and bring it into something because of the life they have, been, they have received from their fathers. If you walk with anybody who is a father long enough and you listen to their instructions you will find you will be able to do things a lot easier. When I've sent some of my sons on missions, and one of my, some of my sons, spiritual sons, who are quite successful on missions will tell you, I am very specific when I send people. I give instructions, but I'm like this. If I give you an instruction, and you think you know better, I leave you. I do. I just leave you. Do what you feel. But with my true sons, I don't leave them. I rebuke them. I say, hey, what do you mean? I said, do it like this. My true sons, I do that. With, with my other sons, I don't. Because they can't handle that. It's the truth. Some of them will be upset when they hear this, what I've just said. I'm not really worried by that. Deal with your carnality. The point is, what my, some of my sons have found is, is this. At times, the instructions I give them does not make sense to them. But I know what I'm talking about. I have, I'm a father. I know what I'm talking about. Say, do it like this. And they'll give me reasons why they think they shouldn't do it. And when they do it like that, they see things. And they see results. Why? Because as a father, God gives you foresight beyond your sons until they become your equal. That's how it is. But I don't, I don't, I don't worry. If, if when I have disobedience, it doesn't bother me much. I just hold them up in prayer till the Lord brings them to a place of maturity and obedience. I'm not bothered. I just know you have to learn. You can learn through obeying me or learn through life. But either way, you will learn because you're a good guy. Sons must be empowered to fruitfulness and productivity by their fathers. Fathers must create that environment that if the son will listen, they will be productive. Sixth point. The father commits all judgment to the son. In verse 22, what does this mean? Fathers are to delegate to their sons real authority whereby they make decisions and face the consequences thereof. That's what judgment is about. You have to decide. And you have to be able to fall by the sword and live by the sword that you wielded. 
Once you become at a certain age, you have to be willing to make your mistakes. If you're going to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will face the consequences of death. But as a father, I can't step in and bail you out once you get to a certain age. I have to watch you die. That's part of fathering. That's part of fathering. Look at you, you looked at me. Uh huh? That's part of it. I'm telling you. You can't, when a child is growing up, it's one thing, but once they grow up, you have to let your sons and your daughters make decisions that includes bad ones. Hey, you're looking at me. Seven point. The father expects all to honor the son in the same way they honor him. In other words, any honor received by sons is ultimately being conferred to their father because they represent their father. And also, when a son is received, it means the father is received. When a son is rejected, it means the father is rejected. So when somebody says, Bishop, um, Bishop um, um, Namad, Namad, that's how you say his name. I was educated today. As for you, I will listen to whatever you tell me. But when, say, uh, Michael or um, uh, where are some of the other sons you have? You have loads of them, I know. Come and tell me some of your sons, sir. Don't leave behind it. What's that? TK. TJ. Or TJ. But if TJ tells me, nah. But if when it's you, yeah. That person is a traitor. Don't listen to them. If they can't receive your son, they won't receive you. You've gone quiet, guys. You've gone quiet. Eighth point, the son is an exact copy of his father. We've already touched on that. Ninth point, sons learn obedience to their fathers through suffering. Say suffering. They learn obedience through suffering. Now, listen. This is one thing that many sons have to understand. If you're going to become an exact representation of your father... You have to go through the tough times of trials and testings. At times, our people come to me, and I, I'm not joking. They say, please, can you lay your hands on me so that I will carry that same anointing, whether it's anointing in prayer, or whether it's anointing in church, or whether it's anointing in revelation. I want that. And I just laugh at them. I say, you have no idea what you're asking. One day, one of my sons asked for this, and they kept begging me. I said, okay, I'll give it to you. But you have no idea what you asked. And I did. I laid my hands. He's here. I laid my hands. I said, Father, exactly what I get in this area of discernment, let him have all of it. From that day to today, he has, now to, I think mean now today he's, he's, he's using it. Now you like it, yeah? But for over 20 years, he hated it because he had it, but he didn't know how to carry it. So his older brother watching this, I said, what about, he said, no, I want it refined. Give me the same thing, but refined. He was smart. After he saw what I did, he said, now, I want it, but refined. So I said, fine, have it refined. And he had it refined. So his one was much better than the other one. The, one. the other one said, I want the full whack. By impartation, he got the full whack. Now, I'm not going to do that again because I was immature then. I just wanted him to suffer a little bit. Sorry. You know, you know you're bugging me, you're bugging me. Sorry. So have a whole finger. But I won't do that again in Jesus' name. I repent of carnality. How many points do you have on there? Is there eight you have on there or ten? Oh, Twelve, okay. Okay. Nine points. Sons learn obedience to their fathers. Oh, I've done nine points. Ten points. Sons know their father out of intimacy and communion. 
This is how you get to know your father. I like something Peter said. You know, at times, the, the principle between Elijah and Elisha is very powerful. Many times when you see your fathers doing something, you want what they do, but you want your fathers to chase you to impart. Now, there's a difference between restoring you as a wayward son and restoring you as a wounded son and you wanting an anointing. There's a difference. When you have a wounded son, like the parable of the, um, the prodigal son, the older brother was wounded, the father went out to rescue him. When you had a wayward son, the father waited until he repented and made steps towards him and then rushed out to him. But when you have somebody who wants an anointing, you can't just do what I did. Because otherwise, if they carry it, it could destroy them. They have to want it so much, they're willing to chase for it. There's a difference between anointing and impartation of anointing and ministry to restore to heal, to recover. There's a big difference. So whilst the father must always reach out to his, his sons to heal and to minister and to restore them, the father must allow the sons to pursue what he is carrying if they want an exact representation and not make it too cheap lest it destroys them. Are you listening? So sons know their father out of intimacy and communion. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, all things have been delivered to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. The point I'm trying to make is, is this. If you have a spiritual father, don't wait for them to come to you if you want to have what they have. It says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But what's the glory of kings? To search it out. Let a kingly spirit come upon you where you search out and pursue what is your inheritance in the kingdom. 11 point. Sons receive all things from their father. I think I've touched on that already. The point there is this. The heart of every father is to give them, the sons, everything at the appointed time. Say appointed time. And if you get everything at the wrong time, you can end up doing what? Wasting it like the prodigal son. Sometimes people would say, I want everything now. And that's what that son did. We don't have time. If we had time, I'd go through those three characters. Awesome revelation concerning them. But the younger, the younger son, who was a wayward son, his heart had left his father's house whilst he was there. And so the only way the father knew that he could have a chance of restoring him was to let him go. But he not only went, he went, as he was going, he humiliated his father in the process. Disgraced his father. But his father had to let him go. And it was when he lost everything and he came to his senses. And by the way, the reason why he returned back to his father's house wasn't because he loved his father. It's because he wanted to eat. Self-preservation. Wayward sons are only concerned about themselves. Listen, 
He was a son, but he was, he was a wayward son. Now, you will have that. In every family, you have that. If you have children, there are some who are very, very um, kind and some who are just very selfish. You just have to know your children. Let's move on quickly. Last but not least, sons make their father known. The heart of a true son is always to be able to say, this is my father. This is what my father is like. Sons make their father known. And by doing so, they bring glory not only to their father, but also honor to themselves. Because every time your father is being honored, you know what happens? You are being honored. Hallelujah. Well, we don't have time to go any further, but um, yeah, we don't have time. So I want to stop there. Um, the rest of stuff are in your notes. I pray that the Lord has ministered to you. I pray that the Lord has strengthened you. I'm going to give room for a few questions, and then we're going to do some prayers. Any questions, please? No questions? You ready to go home? All right, go on then. He's a naughty man. Any questions? Okay. You have no questions. Who, who had your hand up? Don't just make up a question. I don't need you to ask questions. I could say one or two more things. I don't need no questions. pressure. <laughs> okay, well, go on. Uh, um, you've been talking about fathers. I just wanted to know, um, in the context in which you've been talking, would it also relate to mentors? Or is that something completely different? Uh, a father will also mentor you, but not all mentors are fathers. Yeah. You can have a mentor who's just an instructor. But fathers will mentor you as well. Yeah. In fact, let me just say a few things about characteristics of a son, and then we're really going to close. First point, they're faithful in their father's house. A true son will be faithful in their father's house. Secondly, they remain in their father's house even after they set up their own family. In other words, they never lose their allegiance to their father. Thirdly, they are under the authority of their father, regardless of where their house is. They recognize the authority of their father. You know, Isaac said something. Um, not Isaac. Jacob said something to Laban when he was in Laban's house. He said, if it hadn't been for the fear of Isaac, you would have done this to me. Even though he was far away from his father's house, his father's influence still stretched where he was. Fourth point. They take instructions from their father without offense. True sons. Now, this is one of the reasons why I deal differently with my sons. Because not all my sons can take my instructions. And so I have to be clear, because I always have to think of their interests. So some of my sons, I can give a clear, direct order. I want you to do this, please. Can you do it now? What's wrong with you? Hurry up, man. Come on. It's not a problem. They're not going to say, oh, you just spoke to me so terribly. Other sons, um, I have to almost, uh, hey, you know, my friend, um, you, are you doing okay today? How was your day? Is everything okay? Yeah, yeah. Is the family great? Yeah. And I need them to move the chair, but I need to make sure I lay the foundation properly. <laughs> Fifth point. Two sons undergo discipline with an obedient spirit. 
Almost all my sons have been disciplined at some point. All my true sons. Not all of them, but almost all my true <laughs> have been disciplined <laughs> at some point. Right? And sometimes it's been quite serious, but you will never know it. And they've just excelled afterwards. Six point, they carry the name of their father, good and bad. So sometimes your father has some bad ways about them. And you are also carrying that thing. You have to learn to get rid of the bad ways of your father. But maintain is good. Amen. Abraham was a liar. Isaac was a liar. Jacob was a liar. And his children were liars. Except Job. Thank God for Job. Let's move on. <clears throat> Joseph was not a liar. Although he kind of tricked them. Let's move on. <laughs> Seemed to be he was there. Seven point, continues where their fathers end. Eighth point, always represents their father and does not represent themselves. This is one of the clues you can see in yourself. Whether you like representing your father or whether you like people not to know who your father is when there's glory. Ninth point, recognizes the signature of their father. In other words, how they were fathered. And in what area they've been fathered. I remember hearing one young guy, through, by whom, or th um, to whom, by the grace of God, I was used to help usher them into their ministry. And I heard them sharing, somebody asked him, so how did you start doing what you're doing? And he said, there was a preacher, a preacher, you know, who one day I went to church and they happened to say to me, do I do this? And I listened to this guy and I thought, look at you. You're not going to excel. You can't even mention my name. You can't even tell the story properly. You're making it out like it just happened to be. Without that impartation, you wouldn't have been doing what you were doing. And you can't even give what honor where it's due. I felt so sorry for him. Like I even care. I felt so sorry for him. Because he couldn't acknowledge how his father pushed him into ministry. Ten point. True sons learn to entreat their fathers, not rebuke them. They will tell their father if their father's wrong. Dad, come on. Sir, uh, Joe, come on. Listen. And I have sons like that. They tell me straight, mate. Like Mark will say, mate. He's just, he's the one who be, mate. You sure about that? Sounds a bit odd to me. Mate, I think you're wrong there. Philip will say, bruv. Philip is very good. He's very um, spiritual with these things. You say, bro, bro, bro. When St. Philip says, bro, 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 it means you're really wrong. But he says, bro, bro, bro. No, bro. Kwame, isn't it? Bro, bro. Then you know he doesn't agree. But some of our sons, you are wrong. I don't care. You're wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 11 point, really, really done now. Behaves honorably towards his siblings. Because he recognizes their power of the family. And last but not least, listens to the counsel of his mother. The mother is the church. They're submitted to the church, the authority of the church. Amen. Amen. You will be a true son in Jesus' name. I want us to rise to our feet. And I want us to begin to pray. Can you rise to your feet? Or have you fallen asleep? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm blessed.
Say, I am a son. I am a father. By faith. In Jesus' name. I want us to pray for one another. I want us to just pray and bless one another. Is that all right? Can we do that? Are you allowed to do that? To pray for each other? I want you to just, where you are, group up in threes. And then I want you to, come on, where you are, this is a summit. I want you to group up in threes. And then I want you to just share with each other. I said threes, and some of you are in fours, really. Threes. <laughs> All right, if you want four, no more than four. Three and four, honestly. <laughs> honestly. Not five now. Three and four. And I want you to just share with each other areas in which you like prayer based on what you've heard. All right, I want you to pray for one another, and then we're going to do something else. Before we close, all right? So let's do that. Share with each other areas you want prayer for based on what you've heard.